Here you are, miss, the flight attendant said as she handed me a fresh gin and tonic. I thanked her and slid the catch down, releasing the small gray plastic table in front of me, and I set down my drink. It was my third since we'd boarded, and I was determined not to down this one. But I wasn't making any promises. Self-medicating seemed like a good option. As much as I loved my two best friends, they weren't good company in confined spaces at 35,000 feet, especially when they didn't want to be there in the first place. I really can't believe we're doing this, Rose mumbled into her plastic glass, fogging up the inside the way a toddler might. I glanced over to find Kennedy reading a magazine but shaking her head, clearly sharing Rose's sentiment. Quit moaning, you two. I tipped my head back onto the headrest. I'd not slept since the wedding dress debacle, as my mother now referred to the worst day of my life. My eyes were tired and my limbs heavy, but no matter what I did, I couldn't shut off my mind or the overwhelming sense of panic that crashed over me every time sleep was near. My plan had been thrown off course. Again. I had to do something. Fix things. Time was running out. I needed to take action. Starting with a trip and a leap of faith. It's going to be good for us. We'll get back to nature or something. I was tired of having to convince Rose and Kennedy they would enjoy the experience. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. Truth was, I needed this. Needed to be put back together, and I didn't want to do it alone. And really, if I'd asked them to walk the Freedom Trail naked, they would have done it. The familiarity of their whining was almost comforting. It was when people stopped communicating, stopped having sex, stopped saying, I love you that you knew you were in shit right up to your waist. Things hadn't been right with Phil for a while, and I'd just clung tighter until my fingers were bleeding, hoping that everything was going to be okay. I sighed and pulled out the safety card from the pocket on the seat in front and then slid it back inside. What I needed was Us Weekly, something trashy to take my mind off what I was leaving behind. I'd expected to have the whole man thing nailed by now, after nearly 30 years, I'd paid my dues and should be eligible to withdraw from the Man Karma savings account that I'd been building up. But apparently, there'd been a run on the Karma Bank. When I'd first moved to Oklahoma City after college, I'd always assumed I'd come back most weekends. But these days, work was demanding, I had a social life, and, until recently, a girlfriend who kept me busy. So I spent less and less time in Christie. Being back here was comforting, despite the ribbing from Bentley. So what brings you home? You break up with that hot piece of ass again? Bentley asked. Jesus, Bentley, don't refer to my ex-girlfriend as a piece of ass. I didn't. I said she was a hot piece of ass. As he spoke to me, he winked at someone across the room. No doubt at a hot piece of ass. I have no idea how any girl is fool enough to date you. My brother had always had plenty of female attention. Frankly, none of the McKenna boys did badly. We'd done well in the genetic lottery, or so I'd been told. I don't date women. I show them a good time. Anyway, this isn't about me. Talk to your little brother. Is this trip about a woman? I don't just come home when I break up with someone. 
No, you also come home on the holidays. But it's not Christmas, so it must be about a girl. I took a swig of my beer. Just got things on my mind. Decisions to make. I needed a bit of Christy air. A bit of Christy ass wouldn't go amiss, I bet. Bentley scanned the bar. What about Julie? I didn't come here to hook up. I had a decision to make between work and family, reality and a possibility, between Oklahoma and Boston. Back home, where every ambition I'd ever had took root, seemed to be the right place to come.